if you are ready to take the hard road. The road less travelled. The path in life where the journey is more important than the destination. Then you are in the right place. Prepare to live with vigour. This is the Adventurous Gentleman Podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Adventurous Gentleman Podcast. And today I have Evan Williams on the show. You probably already know who he is, or at least you've seen him, I guarantee, somewhere in the social media realm. He is the pro staff manager of Hoyt Archery and quite the dedicated hunter. And I I would say out of everyone I'm friends with on Facebook, you probably have the coolest little profile video thing. <laughs> well, it's hard to beat when you have a a buck like that jumping over the fence right in front of you. So he's he's to... huge. And the worst part is though, it's only a tease. Yep. Yeah, well, and, and you can see the full video either further down in my feed or Hoyt's got on their YouTube and their page and so it uh, it kind of blew up on us. It was awesome. What uh, what was that like? Oh, and for people who don't know, or maybe not be friends with you or seen the video, how how big is that deer? Um, I taped him at one sixty seven. So he's uh, his body is so big it makes his rack actually like kind of stand out. Um. We honestly thought he was bigger when we first saw him. Um, we were able to decoy that buck off of a piece of private right next to the public that we were hunting. And uh, we actually pulled him off of two does from like 300 yards. And Dang, that's some good decoy. Yeah. So do you – I'm going to close this door. So decoy this, <laughs> this deer that looks like the body's so big it looks like it came from a red stag. Uh, oh, it's uh, – it took everything I had to focus on where I wanted to put my pin instead of looking at how big his neck was and the antlers and – yeah, it was it was insane. Um, he looks like a horse with antlers. Well, and the, f- the funny thing was is – so the cape on him ended up getting ruined, and uh, I called my taxidermist in Colorado – and he goes, well, you know, I mean, how how big is he? Is he in the rut? And I was like, yeah, yeah, Don, he's in the rut. And I, Don did a buck for me in 2010, and that buck was a a 190 non-typical, and I killed him about seven miles from where I shot this one. And we actually used a small elk form and put a mother head on it. Wow. And this one is bigger. Dang. So, yeah. So there's there's some good genetics there if they get the right right age into them and 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 again things just work out. Like like you hear that term like oh this guy's got no neck you know what I mean like when you you picture a guy who's like super yoked that's what this deer yep. looks like his chest just kept going till his head started. Yeah, yeah, and he's got this little little tiny speck of a head on a. Freaking thirty-foot yeah. diameter cottonwood base. Yeah, it was it was insane. And and I I knew we were gonna shoot him. Um, and it had nothing to do with his size or the score we thought he was going to be. 
um, you know, my brother was with me, and so was uh, one of my best friends out of Colorado. And so this wasn't any kind of like pro guided hunt then. It was you oh and your no no buddy. no no. This is this is public ground. Um, so I I've got access to that the Onyx hunt apps, and this is my second year using that on my phone, and I've had the the GPS chip way back when it was still um, I think it was just Hunt Data is it was the original company name, um, so I've had that since like 2011 or something, and uh, it was just I literally I was sitting in the office last year and it was probably middle of October. And I took a little break, was getting some, some stuff done with our graphic designer and um, our photographer and video guy at Hoyt and I were looking at some stuff and, and he was getting ready for a late season Colorado hunt um, for a rifle and I was getting ready for my Kansas tag. And I pulled up my app and was just kind of cruising through the general area and, and kind of showing them what the terrain and topography looked like and I I went to come and scroll to another unit that I've never been in, but a buddy of mine pointed a spot out to me. And as I it was scrolling across, I noticed this huge square chunk. It's a full 640 acres, um, so it's a solid square mile of public walking ground. In, in Google Earth, you could see this deer. <laughs> the <body>. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I mean, I lived there for. 10 years and I didn't know anything about that piece being in walking ground and all the bird hunting and everything I've done out there I've never seen this piece and it's got a main draw that runs through it and and fingers coming both off the southwest and the northeast um, everything on the west side is a is a big um, irrigated ag field they've got ag on north and south of it the north east corner of it uh this year it was standing corn and then there's a strip of crp before it drops into these huge limestone ravines and i was like well there's a pond right in the middle of that and a stock tank on a solar charger it's like there's got to be something over there so last year uh november 6th was my first day in kansas and i had shown a buddy that piece and i was like hey if you get a chance would you go over and take a look at this and see, you know, what you're seeing as far as um, animals and and any kind of hunting pressure around the area? Because he gets the entire month of November off with his schedule in the fire department. He can trade. So he goes over there, and he sees like a 170 whitetail coming off of some private head in that general direction. He sees a 150-ish, 155 mule deer. And he goes, he goes, there's so many muley does out here. He goes, there's got to be some decent bucks. Uh, corn's still standing, um, but there's got to be something running around. So my first morning in 2016, we had a whitetail on one of our properties that we call Whaletail. And he's a big, typical 10, and he's got 8-inch daggers off of both of his G2s coming backwards. And from a side profile, when he's when he was looking north in front of the camera, it literally looks like the whale tail of a bull elk. And so I was sitting in the stand first thing in the morning to see if he would be cruising through on November 6th. And 
I see a little forky chase of doe up and and to the south of me. They go down into an area that I know is a bedding area, and I'm in a travel corridor between two bedding areas. And I look up, and I see what I think is a doe, and I've got a doe tag, so I get ready. It starts to walk into my lane. I start to come to full draw, and it's a little basket six. (sighs) So I watch it walk right past me at 31 yards, and it goes behind me, and I watch it disappear, and 15 minutes later, I go to grab my rattling antlers just as my phone starts vibrating in my pocket. <laughs> and so I grab my phone, and it's my buddy. So I answer it, and of course, talking real, real quiet. And he goes, I found a buck. You need to come kill him right now. And I'm like, it's literally at 7.55 in the morning. And I was like, well... Are you down on Are you down on Phil's place? He goes, No, no, no. He goes, I'm out at this this public piece that you had me look at, and I'm three quarters of a mile from this deer, and I'm looking at him with my naked eye, and I can tell you he's a 180 plus without binos. And I'm like, Okay, I'll be there in 45 minutes. So literally, I drop my bow down, I climb down out of the stand, I blow like six deer out of this piece, walking out, <laughs> yeah, like, get I'm to out. my get get <laughs> to my truck, and I drive out there. And sure enough, I, you know, I pop up a spotter on the, the hood of the truck, and, and I'm like, yeah, that's a really good buck. I mean, solid three-by-four with a, with a hook cheater on one side, um, probably 27 inches wide, just slightly outside of his ears, um, and really, I mean, as tall as he is wide, real boxy frame and white, white antlers. And they're, they're on the private getting ready to leave it. So we go driving down the road to kind of cut them off and see where they're going to go. It ends up being about 23 does and two different bucks in this group. And the lead doe didn't like us, so she runs back across, and she runs right to the fence line of the public, and the entire group beds, half on public, half on private. So we go, we get ready, he's going to film it, we're going to go in, we're going to try and kill this buck. And his wife is 13 weeks pregnant in the tree stand, 30 minutes the other direction where I just came from. And she's cold and she's hungry. We have both vehicles. So she comes over to – she calls and says, hey, come get me out of here. I need food. So he leaves. We come up with a plan because I'm going to go a mile through this piece and get on the opposite ridge of the decoy in some yuccas. And try and grunt and decoy a, a buck out of there. He's up checking does. None of them look like they're in or receptive to him. So, I mean, he's on his feet just cruising. He leaves. I walk in. I go 200 yards and start cutting up one of the, the ears to get across this piece. And I thought I had glassed this entire ravine. And I missed one little piece. And when I turned down and look. I've got a mid to upper 180s buck bedded at 35 yards. And I'm in the wide open. And he's looking at me. And the way he was bedded, to me, he looked like a 3 by 3 with a cheater. Um, I figured he was a 160, 165 buck. First day in Kansas, public ground, and real thick with split brow tines. And I was like, you know what? I, I'm not going to hunt for a whole week and maybe not get an opportunity like this 
It's 30 mile an hour crosswinds. Just take the shot. Just send it. And yeah, and he's he's watching me. My camera, everything <laughs> is in my backpack. I'm in the middle of a hill with no cover. I'm in like grass that's an inch tall because it's been grazed all year. And I'm like, well, there's if I leave, he's not going to be here when I get back. He's probably got doe bedded in there somewhere. And as soon as she allows him to, he's going to breed her and, and be gone. So I, I shot him right there, and he goes busting out. He ended up being 30 and a half inches wide, has 47 inches of mass, a 5-inch cheater, and went 188. Ooh. And he was on the ground less than 15 minutes after I left my truck. <laughs> I, I <laughs> He dropped. I walked up to him, took a couple quick pictures, and actually had to hike out of this bowl to get service, to call my buddy. He was like, dude, I don't have a saw. I dumped my game bags. They're at the house. I don't have a sled. Um, I have a knife, and I have gloves. That's lucky, all. Lucky you had your bow. Right. <laughs> and it wasn't even put together when I first got there. Like, I put it together before I went to the stand at the truck. And so I call him up, and he goes, hey, what's up? I said, well, I need your help because I got a buck on the ground, and I got nothing with me. He goes, what do you mean? I said, oh, I, I shot a buck. He's already dead. And I sent him a picture, and he goes, he goes, dude, I'm not even to town yet. Like, I'm not even 20 minutes from you. I'm still getting gas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so flash forward to this year, November 4th, same thing happens. Uh, we leave Salt Lake at 640 on Friday night on the 3rd, right after I got off of work and loaded the truck. Drove 12 hours straight through, crossed the state line at 640. He meets me in town. My wife finishes driving. It's a 45-minute drive out to my folks's. And I literally I had repacked that night and, and did, a, did a throw bag and my bow separately. So literally all I do is was throw my Kefaro pack in his truck and grab my bow case and dump it. And I jumped in in the clothes I was in. Friday at work, and I'm changing in the truck to go pick up my brother, and we drive over, same piece of ground, super, super heavy fog, and can't see anything, so we take a drive around the circle, we see five other bucks, um, one of them is a decent buck just outside of his ears, and probably three and a half year old in the 170 range, maybe 168, and he's on a piece of private that we're trying to find contact information for. So we go back up to the public wind is out of the Southwest kind of blowing actually into the middle of this piece. And I just want to go take a look. So I grab the decoy, get all my gear ready again. Bow is in pieces. My quiver's not on it. My stabilizers aren't on it. My arrows are in my arrow tote. So I'm sitting in the truck trying to, put my bow together my brother is cussing at me for not being ready <laughs> and so we finally after 20 minutes of me putting my gear together go hiking into this we go 400 yards and crest the second ridge and austin is on my right and he's flanking to the east to go look in the middle of this piece and i just happen to look over to the west onto the private and this buck is standing at 300 yards with two does and so I get his attention. Troy is behind me filming already. And we come over. We get the decoy off. And and 
as we're taking the decoy off and my brother's getting his gear off his back, he goes, give me the decoy because this is probably going to be a long shot and you need to take it because I, I don't have the confidence past 40 right now. Yeah, like, all right, I'll be I your like, Huckleberry. Oh. Yeah, I was like, okay, I mean, and, and what's the worst case scenario? This buck blows out and goes the other direction. It's on private, so we can't physically cross the fence to go and get him. Legally. Yep, yep, and and, and we, we know the owner. He does not like us. Uh, he doesn't ah. like anybody hunting that ground, period. Um, and it's he's got either a nephew or a son that rifle hunts, and so I completely understand. Um He's got a good piece of private that, unfortunately, is is connected to a bunch of public that gets a lot of attention, and he just doesn't like people around there, and so there's no way we're gonna even do anything questionable. Mm. Um, I mean, even as far as if this buck gets down, we're not even gonna drag him across the fence and come out and get him. So. So you have to get him on that other side. So, so, yeah, we have to get him to jump this fence. And so we show him a decoy. I hit a grunt tube. That gets his attention. He comes about 100 yards, crosses this big 40-yard ravine that's like 20 feet deep and comes from cornfield through the ravine to the cornfield, and it's been cut. And he's staring at us at like 200 yards. And Austin's like, well, hit him with a grunt again. See if, I mean, see if he'll close the distance. So I hit just – one long continuous grunt with the wind coming across us. I knew, I mean, it was questionable whether or not I could get it there because the grunt tube I had on me isn't one that is a real good volume production one. So I gave him just a real long grunt, and he went from broadside looking at us to fully head on, ears laid back, head went down, body bristled, and he is stiff leg walking straight at us from 200 yards. We slide down about 15 feet where if he comes on the lower side of us, there's a cedar tree on the fence line and kind of an opening right in front of it that's 81 yards. And then there's a there's a CRP grass strip that comes right up next to us with a little thicket about 50 yards. And he gets to about 75 and we lose him. It's like, well, if he, if he keeps going that direction, he'll jump the fence down there. So I loosened my sight and had it ready to roll. And... We're sitting there and waiting and waiting and waiting, and, and we're in a position where no matter which direction he goes, north, south, east, west, we have full visibility. We're going to be able to react to anything that he does. So we're looking and trying to figure out where he's at, and Austin finally goes, he's right here in front of us. Look through the thicket. And through this little thicket, there's a, there's a patch of dead sunflowers on the right-hand side of it, and he is going to town. There is... There is brush being thrown out of this sucker. And he comes around the thicket and starts coming straight at us up the fence line on the private side. And I'm like, oh, if he comes all the way in and stays on that private, like, we just educated this deer to a decoy first off. Yeah. And, we'll have, yeah. and we'll have no opportunity at him again. And I can see he's crabby in front on one side, and he's got an inline on the other. And he's got good forks. Um, all around except for his crab side, and he's dark, dark chocolate. And Austin's like, Are you, "Like, you think you think he, you think he'll jump?" And I was like, oh, "Man, I don't know." And he stops at 35 yards and starts sniffing the fence, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, he's gonna jump." So, the buck drops like he's getting ready to 
to jump this sucker, and all I do is I raise my bow from my thigh to my shoulder height, which is, I mean, a movement of like maybe 12 inches just to get ready to draw. And he stops and freezes, stands up, and just stares at us. Like 45 seconds to a minute, he's just staring. And then finally he commits and jumps the fence. And, and then, you know, the rest is history. But the, the best part is there was, there was two guys that were hunting him that we didn't know were there. And they've been hunting him. That was their fifth day hunting that specific buck. Oh, my God. And, and they were 100 yards from him when he dropped. And they watched the entire thing. They watched him come across the field. They watched him rake in the thicket. They watched him jump the fence. They, I mean, they had probably the best seat in the house. They had a better view than the my buddy that was filming it. <laughs> oh, how'd, they, so, how'd they take the news? Um, there was there was definitely some uh, some cussing and swearing going on, but uh, th- that was great. Uh, Travis and and Jeff came over and said hi and introduced themselves and we bs for about two hours and and they're like yeah this was the best buck that we've seen i mean in this entire area cruising around and uh we can't believe you did it with a bad wind at your back and a decoy and it was fun we were sharing stories about him and we showed him the video and they're like yep that's when we knew we were screwed (laughs) (laughs) so so decoys seem to be becoming more and more prevalent yep and in... and i truly i use one called the heads up um it's made by a buddy of mine out of kansas and i've been using it since 2010 and the encounters that you get with them are just absolutely incredible um i've been charged by antelope turkeys um i used a white or a, a mule deer doe decoy on that specific hunt and in 2014 with that same mule deer doe decoy i killed a 140 inch whitetail on the ground same situation i got him to stand up out of his bed from 150 yards and i shot him at under eight wow so it just i'm not a big tree stand guy i don't like sitting in one spot and hoping that the deer pick the trail i've decided to hunt and not one that's 60 yards through the timber that i can see legs walking so it allows me to stay on the ground and stay mobile and and i can still rattle and grunt and be aggressive and and if a wind shifts i can i can move around and accommodate for it and it's really increased my odds and and increased the experience i get as well you know i i fully agree with you in the feeling on you know if you can get out there in that field shake it up and you know be more active of a hunter, mm-hmm. shall we say, versus more mm-hmm. of a passive role sitting in the tree stand, which is what I'm, I primarily do. Because I'll be honest with you, right now, you know, you can. It's gun season is open, so you can hunt with you know anything a gun and more primitive. So you can hunt with your bow yeah. or whatever. But I'm not going out there with yeah. anything that resembles an animal somebody might shoot. <laughs> yeah, you and I, and I've had a lot of guys who are like, well, I'm never, I'm not using that on public ground like are you are you kidding me it's like i i don't hunt during firearms seasons first off and i do it for a reason there you one go. is i've been shot at so no thank you i'm good um and two it's 
another hunter, especially a bow hunter, is going to look at that and go, um, that doesn't look quite right, or why isn't that moving? Why is that human attached to that? <laughs> yeah, and it's and I for the most part, bow hunters are more aware of the situation and what's around them and things like that. So, I have I have never had issues running a decoy, even on public ground, with another hunter. My wife was in a stand. Um, I have built up on our property that overlooks a cornfield, and it rotates koi, corn and soybean every year. And I was in – it was gun season, and I was in a stand off in the hardwood, and I hear a shot. And, it, you know, it's almost past shooting. It's getting close to no more shooting light. And I hear a shot, and I'm like, oh, man, maybe she did it. And I'm like, wait, she's hunting with a bow. Mm. And so – I call her up, not getting a hold of her. I drive over. I meet up with her. Somebody had hiked up the hill behind her from what would have been railroad property onto our property, come under the stand. And it's like a four by six built on four by four treated lumber with a yeah, with a two by four ladder going into it. Not something you can miss. And was under it and shot out into the field at the deer. There was no bucks in the field. There's no does. There's no doe hunting in fire for, with firearms in that unit. So, wow. so that that is what the number one reason I I I would try with bow, but during firearm, no way. Yeah, yeah, and I again I don't recommend it during firearms because I mean I I know guys that have had horses shot out from underneath them on during rifle elk hunts. We so. had a sad story of a woman getting shot uh, a little bit southwest of here. She's walking her dogs, and some hunter somehow mistook her for a deer. Killed her. Uh, and it may have, may or may not have been past shooting light. Not sure. Jeez. It's dangerous, you know. Yeah. But I think it is a great tool for archery season. Yep. Yep, and... And especially where, you know, again, I like to be more mobile and move around, and they really don't care that all they're seeing is a neck and a head. Isn't that like, weird? It doesn't bother me at all. Nope. And, and you know, the, the turkeys, it's fun because, man, they come puffed up in and strutting, and they'll get to a point where, you know what? I've covered about enough ground. I'm done. I'm just going to come in and kick your butt. And they will come on that it's not even that mean walk it's a full-blown run and i shot him at three yards literally i tell people in self-defense because they, they came in so hard i was afraid they were going to come in and then like literally launch from three yards and come into a fight spurring you don't understand i wasn't going to kill this one but he was trying to kill me yeah yeah well same thing with that whitetail buck i killed like he's a good buck don't get me wrong um 27 inch main beams with a 19 and a half inch inside spread huge buck old buck when he's posturing you at less than eight yards like you don't just want to stand up and walk away like i'm on my knees on the ground and and you're already with a there. Sharp pointy stick yeah to defend yeah. me like like this is not gonna go well at all no so yeah so how is the experience turkey hunting then? Was that you using a heads up decoy for that too, or something? Yep, yep. Mount it, mount it to your bow, and um, I like literally if they're out in the middle of a 
alfalfa field or um, spring winter wheat, get on your knees and kind of crawl out after them. Let them see the decoy. I've had I've had it. hens walk within three yards of me. the The owner was out with a buddy, and he was filming. They both had decoys. His hunter was like five yards in front of him, and a hen walked between Garrett and the hunter. And they're less than five yards apart. And he walked. The hen walked between them. Didn't care. And is it a Tom, Tom or a hen decoy you're running? Tom. Really? Yep. So it's it's uh, like an eight or ten inch circle, and then you can put your own fan in there. So the back side of it is black, and then the front side is a um, like a screen type print of uh-huh. a Tom turkey. And he has really good luck with it facing forward. I have really good luck with it if I turn it around so the it's like the they're seeing the back of a turkey. Huh. Um, I don't know if I've just got a lot of two-year-old birds in the area I was hunting. But, man, if they see the back of it, they come running in so quickly. And it's not just one. Like, they will bring two to four birds with them. And they will all come to gang up on the one that's there. That's incredible. So... I'm going to try that. I'm going to try it this spring. Yep. It'll be a safe time, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. And and the nice thing about it is if you have a general idea of where a roost is at or where a strutting zone is at, you know, if you get there ahead of time and you're going to hunt out of a blind, take it with you and you can set it up with this ground stake and you can use it as a like six-ounce decoy instead of carrying a full-blown 3D. See, that's nice, too. Yep. Now – you happen to work for a pretty prominent archery company. Yep. And this this is a pretty uh, big time of year for you guys. Yeah. New lineup is out there. Uh, how long have you been with Hoyt for now? Um, I started September of 2015, so just over two years. So right around the time, Hoyt kind of... I would I would say that to me is around the time or maybe right in the time probably in the past three to four years shall we say is when it seemed like Hoyt was becoming the top dog in the industry mm-hmm. or at least the most desired bow. I don't know if you guys are out selling everyone. I really don't care to me. To me, it's like what I see the most of out there for people, yeah. and it seems like that neat seems to me to be the number one brand. And before that, if I would consider maybe Matthews mm-hmm. with their Z series would have been it. What's it like going from that like maybe number two spot to all of a sudden it's like, oh damn, how do we get here? Uh, um, it's pretty humbling. Um, you know, we've talked for years about our our industry leading engineering and technology and the innovations that we bring in, and and sometimes there's there's things so subtle in a bow model that from a consumer standpoint that well that really doesn't make a difference and once you start looking at it and seeing why it was done that way and the problem it fixes no matter how big or small it's like you know our our engineers are hunters and archers and and really we've got two full-time guys right now that have their NFA pro tournament target cards so they are professional competitors and target shooters you know and that's one of our guys that is running the department so to them 
if they wouldn't accept it, then it doesn't get built. It has to be the tightest tolerance. It has to be the most forgiving setup. It has to be the ultimate in performance or we're not going to build it. You know, and our testing standards are, are you hear us say industry leading. There is no other way to, to call it anything else. Um, a million cycles. If a riser cracks, fails, if something happens at any point to any part of that system, at 999,999, back to the drawing board. Dang. Same, same with the dry fire test. Um, you know, our risers go through an excruciating 1,500 dry fires. And it's not 60 pounds in a 27-inch draw. <laughs> it is at 104 foot-pounds of kinetic energy or better. You know, it's what is the what's the most strain that we can put on this system out of one of our builds, and let's let's test it there. And again, if something happens at 1,499, okay, <laughs> we're, we're gonna we're gonna tweak it. So it's. It's just, it's awesome, you know, getting to see what those guys, how they approach their equipment and the builds, and and one of the things this year especially that a lot of people haven't even seen or realized it's on the bow is on the yoke harness where it, where it controls and connects to your upper axle. We used to have a circular dowel with the groove in it that your yoke would attach to. What we did this year is we created a teardrop, and it actually has a 3D modeling shift built into that teardrop. So when you anchor onto that harness, we are now directing the cables back towards the roller guard at specific angles because they're labeled S for string side and C for control side. They also have a step on them. So the string side is farther out away from the bow, which would create more torque in the system because it has more distance to travel from the outside of the upper yoke to the roller system. So to reduce that, that standoff is reduced and pushed closer to the limb. The cable side, which is on the roller side, is pushed farther away to shift that load so that they have equal amounts of pressure and force on each one of those harnesses. The other thing that allows us to do is you no longer have to have uneven twists in that system. So you can now run four and four or whatever your setup needs to be for tuning. And if you need to add a half twist into your bus cable for timing, since you can't do it with our new control system down low with the way it splits, everything has to be done in the upper yoke. You do a half in and either side and it maintains the exact same tension and consistency wow so and again it's a piece that literally is i mean the size of your thumbnail we're talking ga- a game of millimeters now or or smaller yeah honestly yep dang so how how has that been going i seem to see a lot of them mm-hmm. <laughs> popping up from places yeah. in people's hands no, our, our <laughs> redwood carbon series bows um you know, and, and before I was at Hoyt, I was I was in pro shops for nine years in Colorado, and I honestly don't think I have seen the the overwhelming amount of enthusiasm and eagerness from a consumer standpoint 
um, when it comes to the launch of a new bow that I've seen this year. Um, yeah. Absolutely insane. So. I think, you know, a lot, a lot of that heat also seems to come from the, obviously you guys, uh, Cam Haynes is a part of your pro staff, mm-hmm. and uh, you're a very fit individual. Did you see this uh, hunting fitness coming on as strong as it has? Um, no, honestly, I really didn't. Um, it's something as a as a former NCAA Division One athlete, um, I've always been in shape, and whether it was I'm going to be more on the endurance or I'm t- sick and tired of being the little guy, so I'm going to go get in the gym and try and put some muscle on. And um, I would have never told you 10 years ago when I got into the industry that there would be this big of a kick on the fitness side alone. Um, as a Western bow hunter, yeah, you want to be in shape because, I mean, let's face it, most of the guys I hunt with or know that hunt, we're not going in for two or three days and we can get away with a 30-pound pack and, and carry no water because we're only going in a mile and there's water there. It's, You know, this year, um, my hunting partner and I went in five and a half miles with 56 pound packs and we stayed for three days and it was like, well, nothing here that we want. So we hiked out five and a half miles and moved camp and, and went to a whole different area and did the exact same thing in the same day. So, you know, it's Western hunting. I would always, always tell you that, yeah, I'm going to see more of that um, out West because of more public land and having to go farther to get away from people and, and the access and man, it sucks dropping down 1500 vertical feet to go in this bowl and, and go after this bull that's just screaming and chasing cows and the potential that we're going to drop down there and not even get an opportunity have to get out. So, but the way it's hit, I mean, the entire industry, it's great. I, I love seeing it. Um, it's something that I will never take my personal fitness for granted. I've got two little kids that, I want to see them grow up and experience all that with them. And, and when I become a grandfather, I want to be in a position physically that I can enjoy chasing them around and playing with them and not worry about back problems and being overweight and um, other medical issues that could come up because I've taken the time now to put myself in a situation where I am physically fit and flexible and my body is going to survive and, and cope with things in older age much better which how great is dad strength oh dude how great is mom strength i'm sorry mom dad strength, strength is fake. nothing compared to mom strength <laughs> that's true that's true but the other day i there's some guys they're doing some curls and they're like oh why you come do arms with us i was like Alright, so I walk over and I just saw, I look at the rack and I just, for some reason, grabbed 50. And I just started repping them out. And I was like, damn, mm-hmm. my arms got pretty strong. And I'm like, yeah. I couldn't figure out why. And then I put two and two together. I'm always holding my son. Holding up. Like yeah. this. And, you know, and for those of you who can't see, it's that kind of like uh, half bent, 45 yeah. degree, 90 degree angle. And that's all I can attribute to it. Yep, and it's it is, and that's that's one of the things. Like I've seen, I've seen the most like physical gains as far as appearance wise since I've become a dad, 
because you're, I mean, you're constantly, you know, you're swinging your kids, you're holding them, you're throwing them up in the air and you don't realize you're doing it. And there's, there's a lot of emotions like that. My kids love being thrown up in the air and my son, especially, he likes tucking his legs up so you can swing him. <laughs> He's a freaking 35 pound kettlebell. <laughs> so I'll, I'll do basically kettlebell swings and at the top I'm throwing him, catching him and doing it again. And you put a squat motion in that and throw them up. I've, I've got little workout dumbbells running around the house. Yeah, like this beats so, any home gym you can buy. <laughs> yep, yep. So, yeah, and, and it was funny you mentioned that. We were uh, – my daughter had her preschool Christmas program or pre-Christmas program um, yesterday. And we were walking out of the, the auditorium they were in. And for whatever reason, my two-year-old, who's on my left arm, all of a sudden just decides he's going to pick up his feet and quit walking. And so huh. I, am, I am carrying him. He's holding on to one of my fingers, and I've got him. Uh, my shoulder is straight out. My elbow is at 90 degrees. So I'm carrying him just like that. And this mom just looks at me like, uh, okay. She's like, how much does he weigh? I was like, about 35 pounds right now. And you, you're right. You don't even think about it. Like your your joints and your body has changed and molded and adapted because of this need and necessity. You're not a kid carrier. Oh yeah. You know, and and <laughs> in the last two years since, with both of them, um, I mean the last two well two and a half years really. Um, I mean I've put on thirty thirty five pounds at one point. Damn. So. Mostly muscle, I'm guessing, or oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, I was at I was at twenty uh, percent body fat when I had my last biometric screening uh, when I started that whole process, um, and I got it down to twelve point seven and put on thirty pounds. Ooh, that's a good number. So, so yeah, almost single digits. I I was working on it. Um, schedule recently hasn't allowed it, so I'm back up probably into the. 14 and a half, 15 range, but yeah. So now you work for Hoy, obviously super into bow hunting. How about bird hunting? Oh, uh, what kind of bird hunting? Let's, let's get specific here. You teach you, me. Uh, <laughs> there is next to, next to archery, anything big game with a bow. The only other thing I truly love and have a, just an immense passion for is upland. Um, oh, that's exactly uh, what kind of bird hunting. I thought you yeah, meant like okay. specific quail or okay. partridge or. Well, you well you say bird hunting, and, and a lot of people immediately for whatever reason go to waterfowl, you know, that's ducks and, and, and geese. And I'm like, no, like I I'm sorry for those of you that are waterfowl guys. Nothing against it. I do not like labs for whatever reason. I was raised with English pointers and walking big open CRP fields and cut crops and watching the dog work and and. Um, my buddy who filmed that hunt this year, he's got a black lab and there's 10 or 15 years ago, there was one strain of genetics in the entire U S that was a pointing lab. Um, and the genetic trait was black lab with a white patch in their chest. Um, since that time, I think another one or two have come into the U S um, and he's got one, no patch. Um, and he's, I think he's like an 18 month old at this point. 
that black lab will point. He doesn't like to hold, but he is fun to watch. Um, and you put him on the ground with an English pointer that will get out there 300 yards and hold a point, and that, that lab will come in and honor and then just sneak right in when you're ready, and he goes right on through and flushes. Oh, there, yeah. And we got to do some of that while I was home too. Um, opening weekend was the the Saturday, the last weekend we were there. So we went out and busted into a couple coveys of quail and got into some pheasants and had a good time running the dogs. Uh, I, I love upland hunting. And it's funny because when you said the whole which kind of bird hunting, I didn't even consider duck or goose. Yeah. I yeah. consider, I, I'm with you. Like, let's put that in a separate category. That's a different. Yep. And, and again, you know, growing up where I did in Kansas and uh, southern Nebraska, we were right in the middle of flyway. Um, we have incredible waterfowl hunting, um, and I have my entire life. Even out here in Utah, it's incredible. But I started bow hunting because I don't like being out in cold weather that much. <laughs> and I don't care how good your gear is. I don't like it. I don't like laying on the ground when I know it's frozen. So, no, I'll I'll put on a light pair of long underwear and a pair of jeans and a flannel shirt with a you know blaze orange cap and a bird vest, and I'll go walk in sleet, rain, fog, 20-degree temperatures. I don't care, but at least I'm out moving. You know what I'd like to see, and this is maybe you'll be with me on this, is a down jacket that has the briar protection on the sleeves. Yeah. So you could wear like a vest over it, but you'd still have that lightweight, easy to move down jacket. All right, Aaron Snyder, if you are listening to this, there is your next Kefaru lightweight packable puffy idea. <laughs> okay? We want a lightweight insulated puffy with briar protection on the sleeves and around the lower torso. There you go. Or even build it into a bird vest. How's that? Use Actually, that 500D Cordura. He's got that uh, Wooby that's got that the different material. Yep. Yeah. The, well, that, that Lost Parka is uh, – is, I've got that one, so it's got a removable hood. And it's got, it's got the uh, – I think it, they're using the same 500D that they're running their packs in on the arms from the elbow up as well as – um, on the stomach. Uh, oh, on the dang. He's so, close. Yeah. He's close. It's, it's, it's close. It's a little heavier um, as far as the amount of loft. Um, you could probably go half or 65% less, and it might be right where we're thinking. Ooh. You know, he and I just did a series on his uh, white-tailed deer hunt, and I actually got him to share some stuff on social media for this first time. So I'm feeling pretty confident. I can yeah, somehow yeah. convince him in the next five years to make this product. Yep. <laughs> Needs to be in blaze orange. First run option. You know, that's where you take the cheap lightweight vest and you throw it over. Yeah. <laughs> no one's going to buy a blaze orange. I don't know. That's true. That's true. Well, actually, I bet your rifle hunters would big time. Oh, you know, you might be right. I didn't think about that. In the East, we don't have to deal with that BS. But out yep. there in the West, you got there's a requirement in some states, right? Yep. Yep. Most most states are five, four to five hundred square inches of blaze orange. How much blaze orange is that? Like, um, basically, it's uh, full hat and upper body. 
So you could do the Kodora part in Blaze yep. Orange. There yep. you go. You're welcome, Snyder, if you ever listen to this. <laughs> yep. There you go. That would be a great product. See, this is this was meant to be. That's this <laughs> is what I was missing. That kind of idea. And there you go. I tried throwing it on uh, Ryan from First Light, but he wasn't he wasn't taking the bait on my idea. Really? Nah, he wasn't feeling it. Well, well, Ryan's not much of an upland guy though either. You kind of take someone that does those other pursuits. So, yeah. Ryan's 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 a great guy. All but he's he, yeah he's solid big game. I mean, shooting a moose at well we won't say the distance, but that guy can shoot. Yeah. You know, <laughs> here's the thing with Snyder. He's the kind of one guy who might be like. You know what? I'll 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 run it. I'll see what we can do. And then if yep. it fails, it fails. So, I know we're running short on time. Where can people go to check out these awesome archery products? Um, so you can go to the Hoyt Instagram, which is Hoyt Bow Hunting, or you can look at our Facebook page, which is Hoyt Archery as well. Um, our target lines are on the, the Hoyt Target Archery side. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel. Our website is Hoyt.com. So, got a lot of information out there. So, if, And if they want to see this great video, where, where could they see this video? Um, my personal page is Evan underscore R underscore Williams on Instagram. It's there. Um, it's also on the Hoyt bow hunting page. You just have to go looking for it and it did get tagged as sensitive content so it'll be fogged over <laughs> uh, but but yeah so you can also do the uh look up the hashtag red wrx and there's like it got shared like 20 times in there so pretty good <laughs> yeah. yeah no i had it had like over half a million reach it was awesome so that is awesome all right, Evan Williams, everybody, thank you so much for coming on. Don't forget, get out there and live your life with vigor.